0: everyone. Welcome to our episode of Two Truths and a Lie, an NSMC podcast. Let's go over some ground rules. One at a time, each member of our elite panel will state two truths and one lie about nephrology. This episode will specifically focus on SGLT2 inhibitors. The other panelists will then pick which statement they think is a lie. Our presenter will then educate us all on which statement is incorrect and why. So let's warm up our lie detectors. Let's meet our four players for today. I'm Susan Thinabala-Singham and I'm your host. I'm a first year internal medicine resident at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. I'm really excited to be your host today and to have an amazing discussion with these wonderful women. Our second panelist is Dr. Maitri Shankar from India. Hi, Dr. Maitri, can you please introduce yourself?
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Maitri Shankar, assistant professor in nephrology from Institute of Nephrology, Bangalore, India. I'm also the Associate Program Director for Nephrology's Social Media Collective. Glad to be here and I have no conflicts of interest to declare.
0: Great! Thanks so much, Dr. Maitri. Our third panelist is Dr. Dana Larson from the USA. Can you please introduce yourself, Dana?
2: Yeah! Hi all! I'm Dana Larson, a second year Nephrology Fellow at the University of California, San Francisco. And I'm so grateful to be on this podcast with this great group today. I have no conflicts of interest to introduce. Perfect. Our fourth panelist is Dr. Sandhya Suresh from India.
0: Hi,
3: Dr. Suresh. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, all my fellow members of the fourth pod. And hi to everyone listening to this podcast. I'm Dr. Sandhya Suresh, and I'm an early career nephrologist working in a medical college in southern India. My only declaration here is that I'm a flozinator who is continuously amazed by everything that the SGLT2 inhibitors can do.
0: Wonderful, thanks so much. Great, so I'm going to start now. I'll give you three statements. My statements will all focus on the use of SGLT2 inhibitors in the non-diabetic CKD setting, which is a cohort that merits special attention when discussing the benefits of SGLT2 inhibitor use. My first statement. SGLT2 inhibitors are nephroprotective in diabetic and non-diabetic CKD. Statement 2. SGLT2 inhibitors decrease proteinuria in non-diabetic CKD. And statement 3, SGLT2 inhibitors are indicated for all etiologies of non-diabetic CKD. Great. So, Dr. Maitri, what's your guess? Which statement is a lie?
1: In this setting, SGLT2 inhibitors are a new class of oral hypoglycemic drugs which have nephroproductive effects by both glucose-dependent and independent mechanisms. So the nephroprotective effect has been demonstrated in RCTs in patients with diabetic nephropathy and in patients with high cardiovascular risk as well, so which supports their use in these patients. The favourable effects of these drugs are explained by mechanisms that act upon the pathogenic pathways of diabetic kidney disease, including glomerular hyperfiltration, inflammation and oxidative stress which ultimately leads to reduced proteinuria. So statements 1 and 2 are true. I don't think SGLT2 inhibitors are indicated for all etiologies of non-diabetic chronic kidney disease because I am aware that patients with lupus nephritis and polycystic kidney disease were excluded among few others as well from the trials. So I go with statement number 3.
0: You're absolutely right. Thanks so much. Uh, so I'm just going to go through some explanations specific to each of those statements, but Dr. Maitu has given us an excellent overview of what we're about to talk about. Uh, so for statement one, which was that SGLT2 inhibitors are nephroproductive in both diabetic and non-diabetic CKD, that statement is true. They are, in fact, nephroprotective in both settings. The CREDENCE trial was the first to specifically examine kidney outcomes in patients with diabetic proteinuric CKD and it demonstrated significant decrease in risk of kidney failure and cardiovascular events in patients treated with canagliflozin. As the effects were independent of glucose lowering effects, further studies have been conducted in the non-diabetic CKD setting and DAPA-CKD was one such study. It included both patients with diabetes and without and found that the use of dapagliflozin was associated with a decreased risk of a greater than 50% decline in EGFR and stage kidney disease or death from renal or cardiovascular causes. Statement 2, which was that they decreased proteinuria in non-diabetic CKD, is also true. We do in fact have compelling data that proteinuria is reduced with the use of SGLT2 inhibitors in non-diabetic kidney disease. Pre-specified analyses from the DAPA CKD trial demonstrated that dapagliflozin significantly reduced proteinuria in both diabetic and non-diabetic CKD, although the effect was larger in the diabetic subset. Because the clinical outcomes were similar with dapagliflozin initiation between diabetic and non-diabetic patients, despite this difference in effect size on proteinuria, it's been postulated that the observed nephroprotection protection may be independent of the reduction in proteinuria. And statement 3 was in fact the false statement. In DAPA CKD, included etiologies of non-diabetic CKD were FSGS, minimal change disease, chronic interstitial nephritis, chronic pilonephritis, and hypertensive, IgA, membranous, and obstructive nephropathies. However, patients with lupus nephritis, polycystic kidney disease, and vasculitis were excluded. The results of EMPA kidney are highly anticipated, in part as it includes a larger number of patients without diabetes, in particular those with glomerular disease, which will hopefully give us more answers about whether these patients will also benefit from SGLT2I inhibition. Sorry, initiation. EMPA kidney does, however, also exclude patients with polycystic kidney disease. Okay, that was fun. I can't wait to hear more from the rest of our panelists. We're going to move on to Dr. My3 now. Can you please give us your two truths and a lie?
1: Thank you, Susan. So here comes my first statement. SGLT2 inhibitors are the initial therapy for type 2 diabetes. Statement number two. SGLT2 inhibitors are beneficial in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction as it reduces both preload and afterload. And here comes my last statement. SGLT2 inhibitors are analogs of fluorescent. So who's going to take up my two truths and a lie? Great. I can try to answer this one. Um, so this is a, a, a great
2: couple of statements. Um, let's think. I'm not entirely sure what a floresin floor is, but I'm pretty certain that SGLT2 inhibitors are not actually the initial therapy for type 2 diabetes. I still think RAS blockade, I think, is the first one there. So that's going to be my answer, statement one.
1: Awesome, Dana. Yes, you are correct. STLT2 inhibitors are not the initial therapy. Initial therapy consists of lifestyle modifications, diet and exercise. Coming to statement number 2. These drugs promote osmotic diuresis and natriuresis in patients with and without diabetes. And this may reduce preload. STLT2 inhibitors may also have vascular effects which includes improving the endothelial function and this causes vasodilation and in turn reduces the afterload. It has been also thought that they may improve myocardial metabolism and cardiac efficiency. Coming to the third statement about fluorescent, it is a natural compound which was isolated from the apple trees in the early 1800s and for decades has played an important role in diabetes. And renal physiology research but this compound is poorly absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract at in, and this one inhibits both SGLT1 as well as SGLT2. So the analogues of fluoresin have been developed to overcome these two problems of poor GI absorption and blocking of both SGLT1 and 2 receptors. So these are nothing but our current SGLT2 inhibitors.
0: That was great, Dr. Maitri. Thank you so much. I feel like I learned a lot. Moving on to Dr. Dana, can you give us your two truths and a lie? Awesome. Thank you, Susan.
2: All right. Please identify the lie from among these statements, which all are concerning potential SGLT2 inhibitor side effects. Statement 1. SGLT2 inhibitors definitely increase the risk of vulvovaginal candidiasis and may increase the risk of urinary tract infections. Statement 2, SGLT2 inhibitors do not definitely increase the risk of bladder cancers. Statement 3, SGLT2 inhibitors definitely increase the risk of limb amputations. Do you think you have,
3: have the answer? Let's take a closer look. Shall I take this? Sounds great. So um, let me see the first statement. Um, SGLT2 inhibitors have definitely shown to increase the risk of genital mycotic infections. So I'd say that the first part of statement 1 is correct. Uh, Though the second part, the word may increase the risk of urinary tract infections. I don't think they definitely increase the risk of urinary tract infections. SGLT2 inhibitors do not definitely increase the risk of bladder cancers. I think that's true. And they definitely increase the risk of limb amputations. Um, Although CANVAS did show an increase in risk, I'm not sure that the other studies have shown an increased risk of limb amputation, so I'm going to go with that Uh, statement three is false.
2: Awesome! We are on a roll this morning. That is correct. Let me take you through each statement a little bit more in depth. So the first statement, SGLT2 inhibitors definitely increase the risk of urinary tract infections, and vulvovaginal candidiasis is true. Multiple studies on SGLT2 inhibitors, including a 2018 canagliflozin randomized control control trial and a 2013 dapagliflozin randomized control trial, have shown two- to four-fold increase in vulvovaginal candidiasis in 10- to 15% of patients on SGLT2 inhibitors compared with placebo. A 2019 meta-analysis of over 100 randomized control trials with SGLT2 inhibitors compared with other antidiabetic agents or placebo did not show an increased risk of UTIs for SGLT2s as a group, though there was a signal for increased risk of UTIs specifically for the dapagliflozin. Mechanistically, it is unclear why that would be the case. At this time, where there is definitive increased risk of vulvovaginal candidiasis, increased risk of UTI is likely not something you need to counsel your patients on. All right, Moving on, our second statement, as GLT2 inhibitors do not definitely increase the risk of bladder cancers, is also true. While few cases of bladder cancers have been diagnosed in patients taking dapagliflozin, half of these occurred within the first six months, which is thought to be too soon for tumorogenesis promotion by dapagliflozin itself. Embareg did not find increased incidence of bladder cancer once events ra- rates that occurred within the first six months of drug therapy were removed. Currently. The FDA recommends ongoing post-marketing surveillance. And finally, moving on to our final statement, which must be false given the name of the game, the statement states: "SGLT2 inhibitors definitely increase the risk for limb amputations." While the Canvas program found that over 10,000 combined patients from their two major trials that there was an increased risk of amputation of 6.3 versus 3.4 per 1,000 patients, with a hazard ratio of 1.97 these amputations were primarily at the level of the toe or metatarsal, not the limb. Furthermore, there is ongoing discussion over true risk of amputation attributed to SGLT2 inhibitors. As a post-hoc analysis of EMPA-REG and Credence, the renal outcome trials for canagliflozin, no association for increased risk of lower extremity amputation was found. While further investigation into this topic is warranted, we can rest assured this is our false statement on side effects of SGLT2 inhibitors.
0: Wow, Dana, thanks so much for those important lessons on SGLT2 inhibitor side effects. I certainly have a lot of take home points from your discussion today. Now we'll move on to Dr. Sandhya, who's going to give us our final set of two truths and a lie today.
3: Thank you, Susan. So, here I'll be focusing my two truths and a lie on the cardioprotective effects of SGLT2 inhibitors. Without further ado, here are my three statements. Statement 1. Increased ketone body production is postulated as one of the mechanisms for the cardioprotective effects of SGLT2 inhibitors. The Statement 2. Is that the glucose-lowering effect and cardiovascular benefits both decline at lower GFRs. And Statement 3. sotaglyphosin is a combined SGLT2 and SGLT1 inhibitor which has demonstrated cardioprotective benefits.
0: I'll try and take a stab at this set. So I'm not sure that I actually have heard of soda sodagliflozin before, but when I look at statement two, which was the glucose lowering effect and cardiovascular benefits both decline at lower GFRs, I know that we haven't done any studies in people with GFRs less than 25, so that intuitively seems true to me, but I might be wrong. And increased ketone body production seems like a plausible mechanism for cardioprotective effects. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess statement 3, the sodoglifosin one, as the false statement.
3: I'm going to go through each of these uh, statements one by one. So statement 1 is that increased ketone body production is one of the mechanisms for the cardioprotective benefits. Uh, the cardioprotective benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors may be multifactorial. Uh, they do target the traditional cardiovascular risk factors through their glycosuric and natriuretic effects, but they also improve the cardiac metabolism and the bioenergetics. We know that 90-95% to 95% of cardiac energy is derived from mitochondrial oxidative metabolism with the predominant fuel being free fatty acids. But in a diabetic heart, this metabolic flexibility in terms of substrate utilization is impaired and the myocardium becomes more dependent on free fatty acids as fuel and there is buildup of free fatty acid intermediates which leads to lipotoxicity and myocardial dysfunction. So SGLT 2 inhibitors produce a starvation stimulation with reduced insulin and higher glucagon levels which would promote lipolysis and ketogenesis. They also reduce the excretion of ketone bodies by reducing the GFR. So these ketone bodies like beta-hydroxybutyrate serve as an alternate super fuel for myocardial cells producing ATP more efficiently and help to preserve the mitochondrial integrity and these factors will lead to improved cardiac efficiency. So, so Susan, you're right that statement one is true. Now coming to statement two, the glucose-lowering effect of SGLT2 inhibitors does decrease with declining GFRs. So the first part of the statement is true because it's dependent upon the filtered glucose road which is reduced in patients with renal impairment and thereby leading to a reduction in the glucose-lowering effect of SGLT2 inhibitors. Conversely, the cardioprotective effects of this class of drugs seems to be remarkably preserved at lower GFRs as has been demonstrated in several trials. Uh, For example, in the EMPIREG outcome trials, analysis of a subgroup of patients with prevalent kidney disease was done, which included type 2 diabetic patients with established cardiovascular disease and an estimated GFR between 30 and 60. There was significant reduction in the cardiovascular and all-cause mortality as well as hospitalization for heart failure in this subgroup and this effect was consistent across different categories of GFR so actually statement 2 is false um, although you are right that Susan there are no published studies with um, GFRs lower than 25 uh, so by that logic statement 3 has to be a truth uh, we often talk about the 4 traditional flozins so I just wanted to throw in a statement about this new subclass within this class of agents uh, so sotaglyphosin is an SGLT2 inhibitor which also inhibits the intestinal SGLT-1 transporters. So it was originally targeted for use in patients with type 1 diabetes with the hope that SGLT-1 inhibition in the intestine could reduce the postprandial hyperglycemia and improve the glycemic control in these patients. And studies have shown excellent efficacy for this purpose. However, they also showed an increased incidence of diabetic ketoacidosis episodes. Two cardiovascular trials were conducted both of which unfortunately ended up losing their funding sometime during the COVID pandemic. The SCORE trial, which included CKD patients, and the solo whf trials, which included patients who had recently recovered from an episode of decompensated heart failure. I won't go into the strengths and limitations of these trials, but they did show some benefit in terms of cardiovascular endpoints in the sotaglifosin group compared to placebo. The drug isn't commercially available of now and it's not FDA approved yet but it remains as a novel agent within the SGLT2I landscape.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Sandhya. That was a really enlightening discussion on cardioprotection with SGLT2I use. And this has been so much fun. I hope you've all found our conversation today helpful and informative. I certainly know that I have. I can't thank my colleagues enough for sharing their time and expertise with us today. Be sure to tune in next time for more FOMED nephrology education.